You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub show here on freshair.radio. I'm Peter Johnson, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. This week we're going to be reviewing last week's European and Premier League fixtures and looking ahead to the ones coming up this week, starting with uh, Champions League tomorrow, Wednesday night. And we've got some huge fixtures coming up the weekend in the Premier League, including Liverpool against Manchester City and Everton against Manchester United. So we'll get onto that later. Uh, first of all, uh, I was just uh, just before we get on with the football, I'd just like to mention uh, Addy's not here today, so we won't be talking about Formula One. Um, but just to give a brief update on that, Mercedes won a record-breaking seventh constructors' championship in a row over the weekend, taking a one-two at Emma Lewis Hamilton, getting points fastest lap as well. That secured them a seventh consecutive world championship. It also means that in terms of drivers' championship, only the two Mercedes drivers can mathematically now win which means they will also have broken the record for most consecutive constructors and drivers' championships. Hopefully, we'll have Addy back with us in the next couple of weeks so we can review that as well. Um, in terms of football, um, there's only one place we can really start, really. You and me. Manchester United against Arsenal. Um, I take no great pleasure in having to talk about this. It was one of the most turgy games of football I've ever seen, and we didn't even get the result in the end. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I take incredible pleasure talking about this because <laughs> as an Arsenal fan I loved to see it uh, but we can obviously get more stuck into it but oh, what, what a brilliant way to cap off the weekend I, I was watching it with a bunch of United fans as well along with a couple of Arsenal fans and it was so intense We uh, for Arsenal it was just so important to get that win and we did um, on, on, a, uh, on a serious note um, yes. Not not to, not to take the Mickey, well, because we we can't. <laughs> but wasn't that the first time in several years? I'm not sure exactly since you won away at a big six club. So it's been yeah. the last time we won away at a big club, or one of the members of the big six was January 2015. So that was our 30th attempt. We'd lost our, we hadn't won in our previous 29. That was at the Etihad, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, one yeah. clean sheet. We haven't won at Old Trafford in the league since 2000, like 14 years. Sorry, I've got to say, my. In my personal memory, having been following football since 2007, 2008, something like that, I don't ever remember Arsenal having done a job on us at home. Not um, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was the there was the cup game when Welbeck scored. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah. In the league, we honestly we we've had absolutely nothing, and it was so refreshing to to see us come to Old Trafford, and I think, in my opinion, deserve to win. Um, no, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. I am. Um, I wasn't entirely, I thought it was one of those, I never expected there to be a lot of goals. We are kind of previewing it, yeah. but it was two superstar attacks against two shambolic defences, so there were going to be goals. But mm. just because of the, the way, obviously, Ole is under an awful lot of pressure at the moment, Arteta's not really been getting the greatest results so far. So I thought it was just going to be a case of just both managers trying to grind something out. And that's kind of how it, how it turned out, really. Um, yeah, I think, like, you know... You obviously, Man United had that brilliant performance against Leipzig in the week. And I actually think that probably hindered you more than anything on, on Sunday because you played with that narrow diamond formation, which worked really well against Leipzig. But I think it was quite obvious that, that will, that's what uh, Solskjaer was going to stick with on Sunday. 
I think like Arsenal's formation and the way we the way we played was set up to deal with that. Um, and yeah, like as you say, I, I I hadn't anticipated there to be a lot of goals. I thought it would be quite tight, but for Arsenal to be able to keep a clean sheet um, and you know even if it was a goal from a penalty was just super impressive. But like you say, it is quite quite standard at the moment for Arsenal to grind out the results, which, you know, as, as the saying goes, it's not something we're accustomed to seeing Arsenal do, to be honest. I just think it's incredible, obviously, you mentioned the game on, on Wednesday night, and it's, it is really as though our European campaign and Premier League campaign, uh, they, they couldn't be more opposite. That's four games this season now at home in the league where we've not won. We've got one point from four games at home which is catastrophic. I think it's the worst beginning to a season at home since the late 60s, early 70s or something. But then you compare that to Europe, of course, and we beat the side who were top of the Bundesliga. Well, they're not now because he got beaten again at the weekend. Um, But at the time, they were top of the Bundesliga. Stuck five goals past and never looked like it was going to be anything other than a comfortable victory. Mm. Um, So I'm I'm not sure if it's something to do with Solskjaer's style or if the players just only want to turn up for the... Champions League games, which is obviously an incredibly concerning prospect, if that is the case. I just, like, I was talking about this yesterday with a few of the Man United boys, and I was saying how, as much as it sort of annoyed me a bit, because obviously the the post-match dialogue was all about Man United and how terrible everything is and how much needs to change, and and I accept that that is a talking point because it, it continues to trouble many football fans and people who care about Manchester United, but I just think Arsenal are now a different proposition. So to judge it on merit of this game, I think yeah. you were always going to struggle, which I love saying. But on a serious note, um, you, yeah, in in the league, especially at home, there just doesn't seem to be the tack. Well, we say that, but like you know, beating Leipzig in the way that you did, and then beating PSG, you you, you know, the players executed the game plans, whatever they were, to perfection, and you were very deserving winners of both of those games, and looked pretty good. But I think maybe when you're faced with a, I don't know, something that uh, someone who can predict or a team that can predict perhaps your your strengths, you struggle to adapt in game. And maybe to be fair, it got slightly better after half time. I think your yeah, it was very short. Was very, yeah, very flat. But yeah, I just I don't know. I think the context of of you winning so well in the week definitely almost played into Arteta's and Arsenal's hands in a way. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I agree with that sentiment. I mean, I think we cut a few open ones in the first half. I think Greenwood had a chance. It was a decent save from Liam. Mm. But other than that, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't lacking in intensity. I thought, um, like just in every single dimension, it was every second ball, every fifty-fifty, every just all Arsenal. Mm. Um, so I don't know if they were lacking energy or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, I also agree with the fact that I don't think enough was really made of how big a result that was for Arsenal. I remember I. Oh asked you the question last week. I think I asked it you a couple of times. Um, are we seeing any progress? But I think that mm. is obviously the FA Cup last season. But I mean, Wenger won the FA Cup in three of his last four seasons or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that kind of result is a result that the last two managers came nowhere close to achieving over the last mm. few years. Um, so just for me, for me, as not as an Arsenal fan who doesn't watch all of their games, yeah who watches Arsenal fan TV when you lose <laughs> and watches Match of the Day when you lose heavily. Um, to me, that really felt like the first breakout moment for Arteta as a manager in the league. Oh, it's, honestly, it's, it's massive. And 
you know, to, to judge or to see Arsenal, to sort of judge them and observe them over the last five years, basically. So since we last won away from home against a big club or one of the big six, it is really emblematic, this result of, yeah, the progress that Arteta has made in such a, I mean, I say a short period of time, it's coming up to nearly a whole year. Um, but showing that this decline is being, you know, well and truly stopped, I think. And it's going to take some proper recalibration. And, you know, he was under a lot of pressure. The team were under pressure because, you know, we lost to City. Then we had quite a similar performance to Leicester. And then obviously Jamie Vardy did what Jamie Vardy does last week. So it was two losses in a row. And, you know, there was there was definitely a lot of pressure being like, is Arteta making progress? Like, why is it, why are we so blunt as an attacking force? But I think sticking to his principles and it wasn't necessarily that we were brilliant going forward and created loads of chances. I think just our overall discipline and intention and purpose in the game was, was clear to see. And it's, it's been so long since Arsenal have gone away from home and actually looked great. I, and obviously I, I'm slightly biased because, you know, I haven't seen that and I get very overexcited, but I thought for the most part, we looked so incredibly solid and well-drilled and quite dangerous and we controlled the game and seeing Thomas Partey in midfield and Gabriel at the back, honestly, he was, I, I, Partey. He, he, he was different gravy and it, I, I, I sort of was watching him and I, I wasn't really used to, I'm not used to seeing Partey playing for Arsenal yet, but I was thinking about it today and I just started smiling to myself because I was getting so excited. I was like, we've got this guy who can actually go to Old Trafford and put in a man of the match performance. And I feel really safe with him in midfield and excited seeing him drive forward with the ball, winning the ball, really competing both physically and like um, sort of style-wise against, you know, Pogba, Bruno Fernandes and Gabriel at the back as well was a bit of a mountain. We just haven't had those players. I think those two players are a big difference, but the, 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 the imprint that Arteta's started to build over the last year has been massive. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, um, in terms of, well, in terms of you just just mentioned in terms of the, the recent matches you've had against obviously Leicester last week and before that, you got dealt an incredibly tough run of fixtures and you now mm. in the it's taken a while to get there, but you are now in the top half and you've got a lot of these tricky fixtures behind you now. So it's really really somewhere you can uh, you can build on. Uh, but also, I just thought in terms of the new signings, I think that that is quite an interesting point to raise in terms of you look at players like Partey, Gabriel coming the team look really solid, lots of positivity about them. And then you look mm. at ours, we've got Van der Beek sitting on the bench sulking, sulking because he's not getting any game time. Mm. And I just think that speaks volumes really, kind of where where both clubs are at after yesterday's game really. Absolutely. And I think it's it's important to notice that whilst we were we were, I think, you know, deserved to win yesterday and it was about what happened on the pitch. Well, then you can strip it back and be like, well, why was it? Why did Arsenal do so well on the pitch yesterday? And a big part of that was Thomas Partey in the midfield and Gabriel at the back. And then the team around them looked a lot more solid. And then you think, well, where does that come from? It comes from Arteta, in a way, coming in and, and having a pretty non-negotiable stance in terms of these are the players I want. This is the kind of profile of player I want. So this is what's going to happen. And almost being backed by, you know, the people above However, one wants to view the, the Cronkies and our owners. You know, Arteta was pretty much backed well this summer in his first proper summer. And I think you can't really say the same for Solskjaer or, or you know, a couple of managers come before him. Um, it just seems like 
there's not this uh, synchronous sort of like collective thinking from board level down. Like you're missing, you know, that piece which everyone talks about, the technical director and how important yeah. that could be. And Solskjaer seems to just want to, I feel a bit sorry for him, but I think yeah, you know, he, he, he doesn't demand it in a way that, for example, Mourinho did, and we know how that ended. So, I mean, it's not, I, w- I wouldn't even necessarily say in terms of transfers. I mean, we've got Alex Tellers, who obviously played against played against PSG, put in a great shift, as did the rest of the squad. I thought Luke Shaw um, looked pretty good yesterday. When, uh, yeah, I, I, there's always concerns about Luke Shaw and his crossing, I think, defensively, yeah. but I think certainly yesterday his crossing didn't look, didn't look quite on point. Uh, but I mean, obviously, Tellers has only played once. Looked 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 pretty solid, putting obviously a good performance against PSG. Mm. And the bake, there was some statistic about we've scored so many percent of our goals in the league this season in the short amount of time we've been on the pitch. Um, so perhaps it's 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 looking increasingly every game like it's a wrong call to keep leaving him out. And I, I mean, Solskjaer's kind of I feel like he's got a few credits in the bank, obviously, because he he went a bit kind of rogue with his tactics against PSG and Leipzig, and they paid off on both occasions. Um, mm. But I think you look at yesterday and he dragged Fred off, who's been like our most dynamic player the last few weeks. Like you, you can't fault Fred at the moment. I had a difficult first season, started settling in last season. Didn't, mm. By far and away, United's best player, in my opinion, so far this season. Getting hauled off for Matic. I don't really understand what that substitution was about. You want a bit of vigour or something. Greenwood was the only person who managed to break through on goal in the entire mm. game at that point. He got dragged off for Cavani. Um, I just I, I was transfers aside, I do worry about Solskjaer's game management in some of these some of these fixtures. Absolutely. I think look, listening to or speaking to people about um about Solskjaer and a lot of Arsenal fans are saying, you know, Manchester United are gonna be a good team. They're obviously someone a team to worry about going forward, but everyone's quite keen for Solskjaer to stay in the job because he doesn't really instill the worry of like well, he's going to win them a title or he's going to win them Champions League and, and sort of elevate them to the position that you basically want to be at now, pushing Liverpool and City. And it's the same to, with Frank Lampard to an extent, but maybe slightly different. He's done, he did a good job last year, but I'm not worried about Solskjaer in terms of his managerial credential. I was, I was saying this to a United fan the other day. I was like, if Pochettino comes in, or if he were to come in, and I know that's a constant like rumour mill going around, that Pochettino linked to the United job, but then I'd be worried because I think he's the he he is a coach who who can instill some serious like progression. I I I do think Solskjaer's progressed Manchester United to where they were, but it was almost as if like maybe it's not progression; it's like sort of going back a step to then go forward a couple of steps, getting out the the bad eggs and you know Alexis or whatever re sort of structuring the side. But I just don't think he's the guy for you to to be the big club or the 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 serial winners that. I think you strive for. No, I mean, to start with, he, he was obviously very refreshing. We beat Cardiff 5-1 in his first game. That was after a string of horrendous results under Mourinho. And then it gradually built, culminated in beating PSG the first time. Um, so he kind of, he had kind of, he was, he was very refreshing. But that refreshing, that refreshment that he brought has kind of obviously waned quite, quite considerably now. We reached mm. three semi-finals. You know, if one of them had gone slightly different, even if we'd lost in a final, at least if we'd reached a final, that's something that you can, you can say he's achieved. Mm. Um, but I think in terms of managerial credentials, I because I was thinking the same thing. But then you look at Arteta, and it's his it's his first big managerial job as well. And the kind of the thing that Arteta's got going through him is that he worked as obviously Pep Guardiola's assistant for a couple of seasons. But then 
you look at the style of how Arsenal played yesterday, kind of his first big breakout performance, it didn't resemble a kind of Pep Guardiola performance at all. Like everyone expected him to come in, play this wonderful attacker flowing football. But that was completely all Arteta's own making, those tactics yesterday. So mm. I think he's done himself a huge amount of credit. He and honestly, in the big games and, and, and we talk about Arsenal having been in decline for the last few years and we've fallen away you know statistically speaking if you add up all the points and stuff we are the sixth best team of the last like you know five years or something like that and you know I think under Wenger towards the end we'd brush brush aside all the smaller teams but just be absolutely nowhere competing with the bigger teams and that's what you sort of need to Mm -hmm. to take it to the next level and I think Arteta coming in and correcting that and actually you know changing the style slightly depending on on the players he has available and realising the weaknesses and, and limits to a lot of the players that we've got. But now having someone like Thomas Partey, uh, a defender like Gabriel, who, you know, honestly, so many points in the game yesterday, I was thinking, well, what if that was David Luiz or Mustafi, you know, facing Greenwood into the box? And it just makes such a big difference, those those two personnel changes. Um, but yeah, I think Solskjaer... Uh, you know, over the last week, he's played about three different formations. I think his 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 squad is is relatively in balance. We know that he wanted a right winger and he didn't get one. He's now got an abundance of basically attacking midfielders, which he can't really fit into one team. It works against Leipzig with the diamond, but you know, I don't really know what I thought. Matic looked all right when he came on yesterday, but why not take off McTominay? Do you yeah, it wasn't McTominay the sort that you needed me chasing again. You don't need McTominay and Matic on. I mean, and to be fair, Bruno Fernandes didn't really get in the game, or uh, Pogba was was on the ball quite a lot. But you know, Rashford and Greenwood were the were the danger guys, and you 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 couldn't really get any service to them, despite having quite a lot of midfielders on. So I think, you know, I think there is a limit to to how far Solskjaer can take you. Look, if you qualify for the Champions League this year, I think that that's that's job done. But I think, it, that's, I think that's beginning to look increasingly like the limit. Unless, you know, exactly. winning the Champions League gets you a spot in the next season's Champions League. <laughs> that might be the only reason. Who knows? You, you, you'd look great. And maybe maybe it is about, like, sometimes you have a, a, a slightly more disappointing Premier League campaign. But if you go, keep going on your run in, in Europe, then I'm all for that. Good on United. Maybe that's the maybe that's the best that Solskjaer can get from a team or, like, a the the content of this team. I'm not saying it, you should be doing better. Like I did say yesterday, it's got to be better than United, but whatever the players that you've got on the pitch, like the amount of money you spent, the players on the bench, the, you know, it's, it's got to be better than what was offered uh, yesterday. Really? Yeah. Well, I think that's our application for match of the day completed. It's <laughs> uh, amazing. <laughs> right. So no, we'll just, I think we'll uh, just park Arsenal against United time being, we'll come back to both of them and how they got on in Europe last week. Um, shortly, um, but there's we had a just kind of testament to how ridiculous the Premier League's been this season. We saw the two sides who started off with unbeaten records, uh, 100% winning records, Aston Villa and Everton. Uh, I don't think anybody really expected that they would go the distance off the top of the table, but both fell mm. to defeat. Um, Aston Villa beaten by Southampton, who, as we said again last week, this is kind of almost exactly a year since a 9-0 defeat. They've now beaten both Everton and Aston Villa uh, up to third in the table themselves. Um, and I just, I feel like this is a real real feel-good story about a manager who was right at rock bottom 
and they kept faith in him, gave him the time. Obviously, mm. Danny Ings hitting the form he hit uh, without being injured, which he kind of has a tendency to do, really helped. But I just, every time I see Southampton winning, I just think it's just a great thing to see at the moment. They're definitely a likeable side, and I think their manager, you know, he 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 wasn't nobody. He was a, a well-regarded yeah. manager, and they he got liked to get got him. To the again. Yeah, exactly, and you know his credentials were were very strong in terms of the job that he could do, and we could see that even before they before they lost nine 0 to Leicester last year. It was all about this, like instilling this high press and high line, sort of quite direct, dynamic football, and. You know, we've seen that they can reap the rewards of that. I think, you know, they've got likeable players in as well. They've got quite a few English boys. I mean, James Ward Prowse as well, banging in a couple of free free kicks yesterday. Danny Ings, obviously, everyone quite likes him because he's English and he's had injury problems and Liverpool didn't really make it. And now he's just banging them in for Southampton. Um, yeah, and Villa, look, they've con- started brilliantly and then they've conceded seven goals in their last two games, um, which is slightly surprising but I guess that's just what happens they, they they have to come back down to reality but I definitely think the the intensity of the swings between like momentum it's changed a lot this year I mean you only look at Everton I know it's slightly different because they I, I don't know if you saw their starting 11 yesterday but it was it's just so much weaker without it looks comparatively as soon as you take Hamid Rodriguez out of the team you've got players like Tom Davis and that even Richarlison and Luca Dino, like, I'm sort of not surprised they lost yesterday. Um, no, yeah. they kind of they've kind of got it's sort of Everton's squad, and this is perhaps quite quite a damning thing saying it's not intended to be. It's, mm. It reminds me kind of like Stoke back a few seasons ago. They had players like Shakiri and uh, they had Bojan, didn't they? They were yeah. they generally they didn't have the most inspiring team, but they always had a couple of inspiring players. Yeah. When they were missing, just they were just a completely different side. And I do feel kind of like Everton with that team who needed an inspiration, who obviously they've got with the likes of James and Richarlison. And when they're not there, mm. they just become a completely toothless team. Absolutely. And I think, to be fair, to, to sort of put it into context for Everton, I think, you know, any team who lose their, basically their, arguably their two most creative players, you know, if you think of Spurs, I mean, it's not quite the equivalent, but if they lost Son and Kane, for example, or City lost Sterling and De Bruyne, you know, I think Richarlison and Hammers now are, are so crucial to Everton. I know Calvert-Lewin, obviously, he's still scored at the weekend, but there, there's a marked drop-off from those two levels. And then, for example, Iwobi and Bernard, <laughs> who really don't inspire a lot of confidence yeah. in, in Everton fans, I'm sure. But... Um, you know, Newcastle getting three points. We say that every week, don't they? They, <laughs> they get hammered one week and pull it out of the bag against the team top of the table the next. Yeah. So it's typical. They'll get hammered again next weekend. Yeah. I mean, going back, to, going back to Villa quickly, I mean, you know, they, they were basically down and out and then they still managed. Jack, Jack Grealish still looks yeah. great. Um, you know, he scored and then a couple of assists and... Yeah, pretty close, but I think it's just another one of those high-scoring games where defensively, you know, we're talking about Villa being the best defensive team, and then they've gone and conceded four four goals and um, four goals, three goals. Now it's like, well, that's the Villa we sort of know. So I do think it's going to swing. And now Arsenal have got the best defensive record in the league. So <laughs> you know, happy happy days. Baby, I can't wait to know. 
attention now then to another side who've risen up the table out of seemingly nowhere the last couple of weeks a couple of good results and that's Wolves it's obviously I don't think it's any great surprise when you see teams such as United struggling to see Wolves being one of the teams to capitalise on that but having lost Jota and I don't think they've ostensibly placed it replaced him really I don't think they are they are a side who you would genuinely expect big things from in a strange season like this aren't they yeah, I mean, I think we said it a few weeks ago. Wolves have been one of the one of the best, you know, six seven teams over the last few years. They're, they're such a consistent side, and yeah, I think they've as as good as Jota looks for Liverpool. I think they've slightly offset his his sale with, you know, they got Pedro Neto and Pedense. I mean, Adama Traore is not even really getting a look in at the moment. So they've they've definitely got the players to make up for Jota's loss. You know, we forget that Jota wasn't really playing at all for the second half of last season. Um, I just think like Wolves, they don't really create that much. They're sort of, I mean, I can compare it to Arsenal in the sense that we're sort of getting a few good results, but don't create loads. I mean, Wolves is like underlying metrics in terms of chances created and goals scored and all this sort of stuff have been pretty, pretty bad this season. But, you know, when you've got the likes of Jimenez 
um, you know, these, these, these Jean Martinio as well. I mean, how did they ever sign him? But he's, yeah, uh, he's yeah, remarkable. They've got the experience. They've got Patricio, yeah, Raul Jimenez. They've got um, Cody, to be fair. He's a... Ruben Neves, Cody, and then Semedo even from Barcelona. And then they've got these youngsters coming through too, which who seem to be able to contribute in an attacking sense. So I'm not surprised that Wolves continue to grind up because they're a very solid team. Um, but, you know, I don't think they're going to be... I mean, they were pretty close last year to getting top four, to be fair. But I still think they lack... Their, their sort of shortcomings in an attacking sense, scoring quite a lot of goals might sort of go against them in terms of how far they can go. But, you know, I expect yeah. them to continue. I mean, this is, in fairness, there are there are a lot of teams who've got, got their own struggles this season. Um, so every every team's got this, well, even the likes of Liverpool, obviously without Van Dijk, every team's got the shortcomings this season. Mm. Um, it's just... I think we said it. We said last week, didn't we? It's one of those seasons where it's just it's about minimising damage in Absolutely. some ways. Um, and I feel like Spurs are a side, uh, Wolves are a side who are reasonably adept at doing that. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, we'll just move on to mention them just then. Um, Liverpool uh, obviously mm. went behind at the weekend against West Ham, managed to turn it around. Um, since everyone's kind of talking about. Liverpool is having had a tricky start to the season, difficult, obviously embodied by the 7-2 defeat against Aston Villa. But they have won five out of the first seven games. They are back top of the table. I mean, it's kind of normal service as you feel now. And then the other 19 teams below them can scrap it out themselves. But you kind of feel that that's kind of it now, don't you, if no other team can get their act together? Absolutely. I think that, look, I don't think Liverpool are going to be at the level that they've been over the last two years, uh, just in terms of that they're going to give teams a bit more. I think you just can't, it's, it's so difficult to sustain that level. I know like Pep Guardiola talked about it before and how, you know, when Man City had those two unbelievable seasons in a row, how difficult it is to maintain that just like top class level around, like throughout the, throughout the side. But I think, you know, they're going to give more to opponents this year because obviously they don't have Van Dijk. Allison's been in and out with injury. You know, Thiago's still not settled properly because he's been injured. There's been COVID flying around. Um, but what I will say is they're still winning. And this is a team who have been, you know, quite quite badly affected by important players missing out through injury. You look at like someone like Diogo Jota who's come in and or from the bench or starting, whatever. Or well, three in his first five games. Yeah, it's like last week he scored the winner against Sheffield United, this week against West Ham. Like, what a great signing he is. Um, so I think look, Liverpool obviously are, are, are probably still the strongest contender in terms of being the best team in the league. But I think we it's easy to get carried away because they're just so, we forget that they're Liverpool, you know, and they're just pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you kind of feel more than ever this season it's going kind to of be a case of them getting results by outscoring opponents. Uh, particularly without Van Dijk, obviously the defence is far more shaky now. Mm. Um, we saw what happened when Alisson was injured and they had to call on Adrian. Um, perhaps that was just the solid backup keeper people thought he was going to be. Yeah. And we saw it on the opening day, didn't we, against Leeds uh, 4-3. We saw against Villa what the defence can be like. Mm. Um, 
it's no secret how explosive their attack is, though. So you do you you would expect to see some very high scoring Liverpool games this season, wouldn't you? Absolutely, especially you know Fabinho was injured against Ajax in the midweek Champions League game, so can't actually remember who started alongside Gomez, but it was one of the youngsters. I think his name was Phillips or something. Anyway, like a, one of the one of the young guys, and it's you know going from Van Dijk to a, an academy nineteen year old is. It's a big thing for Liverpool, mm. um, but they look, they've got great players. The fact that Jota can come on and Shakiri even and make a difference, you know, he he played in a great ball to to Jota. I think is a sign of how strong they are going forward, and they still got Thiago to come back. You know, Wijnaldum and Henderson looking pretty sharp, Chamberlain to come back, so they're going to have more than enough to offset the the issues that Van Dijk gives them defensively with their offensive like attacking threat. I think. move on now to talking about uh, last week's Champions League and Europa League fixtures and then we'll start to look ahead to this week's. Um, the first place I was going to start, I think what was the headline result, particularly from an English team's perspective, was Manchester United's five, Leipzig nil. I mean, we've already talked about that in, in great detail, really. I think just one, one more aspect of that game, just in a wider context, that I'd quite like to bring up is that United's next two games were against Istanbul, Basaksa here. Um, if they win both of those, they're into the next round of the Champions League call. They've even played Leipzig and PSG for a second time. I mean, I think when you compare it to, obviously, the Premier League form, which we talked about at the top of the show, it's staggering, this mm. contrast in form. Yeah, and look, I think you've got a great opportunity now and you deserve it because you've beaten, you beat PSG away. I mean, Leipzig at home is, is also on paper a very difficult game 
and you've done both of those now. So you've got two relatively easy games. I mean, I, I don't know if they will be as easy as maybe we expect them to be, but on paper, you've done all the right things and you've performed really well in those two games. Yeah, I mean, I don't really get it um, why you've been so bad in the league. I mean, maybe it is just a case of the Premier League and English teams at the moment. There's just such a difference in terms of how teams individually are performing. You know, like you've, you haven't had Martial in the last few weeks and he's played in both the PSG and uh, Leipzig games. So maybe there's something in that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, you've just looked, you've looked very solid in, in the Champions League. And I suppose maybe what it is, is that it's more, each game is a bit more of a one-off occasion in the sense that it's more yeah. like a cup game. I mean, you do wonder if that's how we ended up getting to three semi-finals last year. You do wonder if that does play, play a bit of a role. Um, yeah. I mean, just in a, in a wider context, again, in terms of English sides in the Champions League, uh, obviously Chelsea, Liverpool, United and City all played last week. All won. Between them, they scored 14 goals and conceded zero. Um, and you know, look at how ridiculous the Premier League has been this season. I don't think, to be fair, it's just United who are exceeding, exceeding their domestic performances in, in the Champions League. Absolutely. The same for Chelsea as well, can't you? I mean, Havertz and Werner um, started producing the goals, didn't they, as well, against Krasnodar. Yeah, no, I think Chelsea also, they're starting to take shape. Like They look pretty good against Burnley, albeit a poor Burnley side at the weekend. Um, yeah, I, I do think, I mean, it is testament to the strength of the Premier League. Like it's, it's a lot more difficult. Teams are a lot better than we give them credit for. Even the, the teams that we expect to trouble, you know, the likes of Leipzig or um, one of the, who, who did uh, City play? Marseille, was it? Or Porto as well? And these teams are just sort of being brushed aside quite easily. So I do think it is a case of the Premier League just being a bit more difficult this year, especially given the COVID craziness that's going on and stuff like that. I'm just thinking in terms of, when we, we said earlier, perhaps quite fancifully that United, their best chance of getting into the Champions League next season might be by winning it. Um, yeah. But on a, on a serious note, putting that aside I mean you do wonder where the competition is going to come from this season there doesn't really seem to be much of a challenge from Spain um, obviously Real Madrid are yet to pick up a victory uh, Barcelona did beat Juventus but we know that there's so many problems surrounding Barcelona Atletico yeah. Madrid you just don't really I mean they've already been hammered by Bayern haven't they mm. um, I mean then you look at you look at Bayern it must be clear favourites to retain the retain the Champions League this year but I can't help but feel that English teams, whichever of the four it happens to be, must be in a very good position to capitalise this year. I, I agree. And I think it's not even this year. I think in the last few years, English teams have been well in it. You know, you think the likes of City and Liverpool have been among the favourites over the last few years. Spurs went on a great run a couple of years ago. You know, even United beating PSG in the way that they did last year and then this year. I think... English teams are, are, are just a bit better now. And I think that's, you know, credit to the managers and the, you know, the competition domestically. But yeah, there's definitely an opening because the, the big, normal big European teams bar Bayern Munich just aren't really doing the business at the moment. I think you can attribute that to COVID as much as anything, but the, the players that they have, they're just not str as strong as they were. That, you know, we're used to that dominance of like Real Madrid and, and Barca. 
and Juve, and it's just not really. I don't think it's the same at the moment, which is quite no, nice it's, in a way. It's nice. I was going to say it's like the same. It's nice to see the roles have been reversed because there were so many seasons where there were particularly in Spain and like, oh, we've got Real Madrid and Barcelona who between them have won six Champions Leagues in a row or whatever they managed to stretch it to. And you've got the English teams there, they get four guaranteed spots every season, but none of them ever achieves anything. Um, and we're kind of justified in saying that because no English teams were really getting anywhere. Um, I think City got to semi, didn't they, against Madrid one year. Uh, but that was, about, that was about the extent of English success in Europe. Um, so it is, I think there have been doubts over the years, I think, over the success of the English teams in Europe and whether they're really justifying so many of them getting in, which I think is a ridiculous thing to say because we know how many big teams there are that play in this country. But it is, I think just from an English football perspective in general, it's, we really needed this season to turn yeah, out. Definitely. I think, you know, I would, going back to last few years it's not uncommon for for english sides to find themselves in the last like last eight last four we've seen a lot of that over the last few years and i think you know it's, it's a positive trend that's going to keep happening because i think you know even the likes of united being able to go to psg and play the way that you did albeit what however psg are playing it shows that you're you know a team like united who are capable of losing to crystal palace can go to psg and then you know, win convincingly and play brilliantly. So I think maybe the difference of stage and, and just the the atmospheres definitely in terms of playing in the Premier League and then being able to almost have a bit of a break from quite a hectic, intense Premier League schedule over the last few months probably works in, in, in English teams' favour, like you say. Well, let's just turn our attention now as well to uh, while we're talking about European fixtures from last week. Um, and there's plenty, again, for you to enjoy discussing here. Um, Arsenal, of course, that started that against Dundalk. They didn't provide the <laughs> challenge that everyone was expecting to come out. <laughs> um, joke, of course. Um, very much a second 11 for us. I think Mo Elneny, of all players, was the only was the only person who played against both Dundalk and United last week. Uh, but were there any players who... I mean, maybe that's just quite a lot about United. I don't know. Um, but were there any players who stood out for you last week? I don't know if you watched it, who really probably seized the opportunity they got. Absolutely. I mean, you know, every time I hear Dundalk said, it's just like how are Arsenal playing Dundalk in their midweek fixture? Um, but, you know, they, they were all right and Arsenal weren't great, but we had we scored three goals in quite quick succession. Uh, the young the young boys did really well, actually. Um, Joe Willock in particular looked great. It was slightly surprising to not see Willock or even Reese Nelson on the bench given against United, given how well they played against Dundalk. Pepe scored an absolutely brilliant goal, but still, you know, it just wasn't quite as imperious and consistent as we want him to want him to be. Um, yeah, look, it was a good opportunity for some of the fringe players to play well. And look, it's Dundalk in the Europa League. So as long as we can get the results and a few players playing well, then then I'm happy. Um, it's not the most entertaining of viewing, but it doesn't have to be. I'm, I'm not too fussed. Um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, well, there's only one English team left to. I mean, obviously, sorry, Leicester won as well. Uh, but we'll 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 just glaze gloss over that for a second. That leaves one English team left to discuss, which was of course Spurs being defeated by Royal Antwerp, which I'm sure you enjoyed. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have any comments yeah. on that? Well, 
I mean, it was quite funny watching. I mean, I didn't watch the game. I I, I just tend to not watch Spurs because I don't find it enjoyable. I'm an <laughs> Arsenal fan. Maybe that's it's, there's probably a correlation there. But yeah, it was great to see because obviously there's a bit of feel good factor around Spurs at the moment. They've obviously been pretty good in the league and everyone's quite worried or at least Arsenal fans are about Kane and Son and Bale and they started a second string of players albeit quite a strong side and you know Mourinho <laughs> made it quite clear even after before his post-game uh, interview that he was desperately unhappy with what he saw I think he made all his all five of his changes I think he made three or four at half time and then all of them were done by the 58th minute or something you know Kane played half an hour son played a half and they still lost one nil so it's sort of it was quite nice a reminder that maybe spurs aren't all that um and in a different way to perhaps like they're doing quite well in the league and then struggling on europe so maybe it does differ for for teams but you know it's great to see them lose. i uh i don't know if you're if you've seen it i, I hadn't actually realized before this week that uh jose Mourinho has got his own active instagram account yeah um, and he had the, the photo of himself on the plane watching a film <laughs> and then on the bus on the way after saying we're back in training at eleven AM tomorrow. Which I, I just thought was uh, just funny really. I just I'm glad that Jose Reed's got if there's one football manager who you'd want to have a media presence, I think it might well be him. So I'm glad that I was talking about this week. Uh, but as you, you just you just briefly touched on 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 Spurs in the league. Um and before we turn to looking at upcoming fixtures for this week, obviously mm-hmm. they beat Brighton. Gareth Bale got his first goal back, which happened to be the winner. They're now up to second. Uh, Jose in charge, as it's well documented, won a trophy at every previous club he's been to. I mean, as an Arsenal fan, you, you must be quaking in your boots. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I was, and I, I still am a bit, I think, you know, Kane and Son look great. I'm not too worried about Spurs as a team, because I still do think they're going to be quite inconsistent and on paper, they, they don't have, bar those front two, I don't think they have any like really good players. Um, look, I like Mourinho. I think, I mean, no, I hate Mourinho, but I love his presence because he's hilarious. Um, so I do quite like the fact that he's in, he's back in the Premier League. And also from an Arsenal fan's perspective, like we didn't, really didn't like Mourinho before and now he's gone to Spurs. It sort of just makes it easier to find him quite funny and and, and really intensely like hate him or criticise him when things go, go badly. Uh, but look, Spurs should have a decent season. I do anticipate that they're going to win something under Mourinho. Just really hope it's not the Premier League. I don't think it will be. Uh, or the you, you know, if it's one of the like Carabao Cups, then then good on him. You know, good on Spurs. But <laughs> uh, I'm not too worried because I'm actually I'm, I'm I'm again biased and and sort of carried away by Arsenal's win at the weekend. But I'm I'm focused on on Arsenal and on Arteta. I'm not worrying about what. Bale's doing. I mean, I, I like again as a football fan. It's quite nice to see Bale playing with a smile on his face. He looks like he's happy, which is just nice. I don't know if you like noticed that, but it looks like yeah, no, he, compared he does, to Real Madrid, yeah, different gravy. It's um, nice just because he was clearly being underused, misused, wasted, whatever. Just unhappy. But it's just not the case at Spurs. He's he is back being loved again, and it is yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever your affiliation is in terms of teams, you want to see the best players playing and Absolutely. enjoying it. Um, so it's, it's always it's always great to see. Uh, anyway, well, I think we'll just we 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 not got the most amount of time remaining, so we'll just pick on. We I mean, we were talking before, and we've picked some fixtures, couple from the Champions League, couple from the Premier League that are coming up this week that we'll just have a, a brief mention about. Um, so first of all, if we just want to start with 
one that really caught my eye is uh, Atalanta against Liverpool. Obviously, you know how a dynamic Atalanta were last year. They have actually started pretty well in Syria, I believe. Um, we've talked about them plenty of times over the weeks uh, in terms of out, in terms of outscoring opponents. I think, I think to a certain extent, it's kind of Atalanta's main trait, their ability to just outscore teams. So this, <laughs> I feel like this game could be any score. A hundred percent. I think. Look, if Liverpool come away with a with a very convincing result, then I think everyone should take a bit more notice. I mean, on paper, it's like, well, Liverpool should beat Atalanta, but actually, Atalanta over the last few years have been, you know, one of the highest scoring teams. Always, you know, qualified for the Champions League. They've got a great attacking force. Liverpool obviously have been struggling defensively, so I think that's a real test for them, and it should be a great game because it could end up just being like, uh, you know, a, a crazy contest, loads of goals flying in. Um, but I do think Liverpool will go there and try and try and have a really solid performance because I don't think they'll they they won't want to concede a lot of goals because you know that will sort of just increase the pressure slightly and I think that I don't think they need that I, I think they'll be fine but it's a great contest to be fair um, and credit to Atalanta for becoming one of these big big sides that you know they're one of the teams now in 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 Italy which is nice to see I think. Yeah, I mean, it's. I do think just the dynamic of it because Atalanta, we know they're an exciting team to watch. They've got nothing to prove. It's only the second season in the Champions League that is so well last season. They're just going to go out and attack it against six-time champions of Europe. Liverpool, yeah. on the other hand, obviously has not got Van Dijk. They don't want to be seen to be, you know, parking the bus or trying to grind out a result against a side like yeah. Atalanta. So I do feel like they're going to be going for it as well, even though absolutely they they may they may well just be happy with a point. So it definitely mm-hmm. wants the neutral. Uh, another one we talked about. Um, it's perhaps not not the most explosive of fixtures, but it was a semi-final last season, um, and it's the two other teams in Manchester United's group: Leipzig against Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. Well, look, I think you know PSG did win their last game against the Istanbul team, uh, but this is really a fight. It looks as if you're going to probably finish top of the group unless you capitulate, which I'd find quite funny. But I'm all for United doing well. I wouldn't be too surprised either, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, I was going to ask you, which of these two sides do you think is more likely to move up in that second spot to the next round? But then if I ask you that, that's kind of assuming that United will take the other one, which I don't really want to do. Let's assume that United, I mean, just for now, they're they're going to be top, they're going to remain top of the group probably. I mean, I tell you what, if, and I don't think you will, and this is obviously speculating, but if United lose to Istanbul, then I think the pressure starts cranking up. And it, it is a case at the moment of like every, every loss that happens, every, and then there'll be a period of good. There hasn't been that consistency for United under Solskjaer, I don't think. And every time that you sort of take a step forward, then there's a step back, and that and he the time about- accumulates. Clutching uh, his job from the jaws of death with one result. When yeah, I, I, I do feel sorry for him, but I think that's just the way it is with United, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I think PSG should should beat Leipzig. I think that they've got too much going forward. And I think we saw last week that if United can tear Leipzig to shreds, I think Neymar and Mbappe probably will be able to. Although I think Neymar went off injured last week. Um, yeah, I think he did, didn't he? But look, PSG don't look particularly convincing at the moment. Um so, look, Leipzig will probably fancy it, especially at home. But I think overall, you'd like to think that PSG would get out of the group along with United, probably. I mean, we saw, didn't we, um, when, when he played against Manchester United? And there's talk about all the money PSG have got. Obviously, absolutely shattered the transfer record, but that's still absolutely absurd fee for Neymar. Obviously, yeah. went with 130 million on Mbappe or whatever. 
But you look at the rest of the team going backwards and they don't have, well, many or any household names, do they? You look at the three they had in midfield and then obviously they've got Kim Pembe at the back who Manchester United fans in particular know is particularly suspect. They've lost Thiago Silva. You do wonder where these funds are going, really, when you look at the rest of their team. Yeah, definitely. I think they, they went through a period, I mean, that summer in particular, just absolutely went for it. And since then, I think financial fair play and just general sort of political things going on where you can be quite badly punished by 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 spending too much money or going about things in the wrong way. So I think they the, the owners, like obviously they're Qatar, it's Qatar, isn't it? They're Qatari-backed. So I think they're probably being a bit more cautious. Um, it is a bit strange, to be fair, that, you know, they do have this sort of, you know, in the way that City do as well, that, you know, they're sort of a state funding them, but they haven't really spent too much money of late. But maybe that's, maybe that's because, I mean, because of COVID, who knows? But they don't have an individual backer, I suppose, in the same way that Chelsea, who can literally just decide to put in his own money. I guess it's a bit more diplomatic. But yeah, you, you still think, I, I agree with you, that they don't have those names running through the side. It's sort of very top-heavy, um, especially without Thiago Silva. I mean, they've got some, they've obviously got some good players, but they do look like they're going to have to rely on those boys. But I mean, that's not the worst position to be in. Yeah, I mean, you do, you do wonder if they are held back by the league they're in. I mean, obviously, a lot of people point the finger at, obviously, biggest example, possibly Manchester City. Uh, in Germany, people might look at Leipzig and look at the look at the money they've spent. But they don't stand out so much because, obviously, over in England, you've got the likes of Liverpool, dare I say, Manchester United. Over in Germany, of course, you've got Bayern Munich. But in France, they just stick out like a sore thumb. Like, like a sore thumb. And it's... Mm. I just wonder if the lack of the lack of competition and the kind of, I don't know, just kind of the, the negativity that surrounds, surrounds PSG that perhaps don't surround some of the other clubs that spend all this money counts against very, it, but Very good point to make, actually. I think PSG, I mean, you think of Neymar even, the amount of, you know, he's quite a, he splits opinion as a player and I think it's quite weird that he does because he's obviously one of the best players in the world. But the his type of behaviour, the fact he plays for PSG, he plays in the French League, it sort of goes against him and it's the same for PSG as a club. Um, how do you maintain that like competitive level throughout the season if you're playing, you know, that your closest challenges are, well, I don't even know at the moment, like Lyon, but they finished seventh last year. It's not, of all of them, it's probably the least competitive league. Um, so I think PSG are definitely, well, how do you, how do you maintain that that edge? Because I think we've seen over the last few years, I mean, last year they got to the final, but they've struggled when it comes down to it against the bigger clubs. So an interesting one to keep an eye on, I think. I mean, I do always, it's not it's not particularly not particularly relevant, but I always do find it, I do find it quite interesting to think when you look at previous World Cup winning teams, for example, when you look over the last few years, we had Italy in 2006, Spain in 2010, Germany in 2014, all incredibly strong domestic leagues where their pool of players was, of the 23-man squad, whatever it is, is very heavily based mm. in their domestic league. But France, the French league, just doesn't have that quality in it, I don't think. I think if you look at the 23 players from France's World Cup winning squad, it was well, well over half of them from foreign leagues. Yeah, exactly. And if you're not going to... I think if you're not going to play at PSG, then you don't stay in France if you you're a good player. Ball, yeah. And I think even going to PSG for some top players is not 
the first option because of the lack of competition in the league. I think they don't have the credentials of a Real and Barca, even Juventus or Bayern as well. And so if you're not going to go to one of those clubs, and then you've got all the English clubs as well. So I think PSG is a struggle for them. I mean, they can obviously throw all the money in the world at you, but then so can a lot of the clubs these days. So who knows? All right, we'll just finish. We are coming coming to an end of time. Time on this show, not in terms of some kind coming of... coming to an end of very, time. Very, very <laughs> deep sense. Uh, time, yeah. Uh, you, we know what I'm trying to say. This weekend's Premier League fixtures, it's very much a Manchester against Merseyside affair. We spoke about Manchester United for much longer tonight than I'm sure you care to. And Everton <laughs> as well, we spent a little bit of time on before. Um, we've not talked about Manchester City yet. Of course, uh, one at the weekend, beat Marseille in the Champions League. They're up against Liverpool at home this weekend in what mm. is... I mean, you do wonder if, if any more of these sides drop points, then you know, it really is Liverpool to lose already. Yeah. Look, I think also Manchester City, they've also been under the under the spotlight quite a lot. They haven't, you know, I looked at the table today, they've they've scored nine goals or something, same as Arsenal, and, and it's been well documented how much Arsenal are struggling going forward. So City haven't been the same attacking force as they have been recently. They haven't really got going yet, but they've also, in the last week, you know, beaten Sheffield United, clean sheet, beaten, like you say, Marseille, beaten Porto. So that they've been quietly you know, plug going along and De Bruyne is now back fit. Um, their back four looks a bit more established. And so I do think that City are going to, if they could beat Liverpool on, on the weekend, uh, I think they start, they've got a good run of fixtures. I think they could start a run. And I think that makes it really interesting because I don't think Liverpool have really been chasing. Uh, I mean, last year, at least, they set the pace so early that they, that, you know, it was their title so early. And I think if City was to set the tone and Liverpool perhaps keep stuttering a bit, then that could make for interesting uh, viewing in terms of I mean, who's the favourite. We saw, didn't we? It was a couple of seasons ago, wasn't it, where Liverpool finished second on, was it 97 points, 98 points? Mm. Um, so these two teams, when they're both in form, just keep pushing each other to an unbelievable level. Mm. Obviously, that was when City was setting the pace and Liverpool were the team chasing. And then last yeah. season, City left it too late, really, to get going. They suffered an early defeat in the season against Norwich. Yeah, um, exactly. But I, I, do, I, agree, I agree with you. If we could see that I mean, this season, we, we do kind of worry, don't we, that Liverpool are top and they're going to stay there. But if City could join them and just uh, give them a proper good run. I think it's going to be a lot closer this year. I don't, I mean, just in, in general, I don't think Liverpool and City are going to be so dominant as they have been over the last few years. I think that there's just too much like new, new stuff going on with COVID. It's, it's going to be a very different season. So it's, it's going to be closer. They will drop more points, but I think, you know, the performances on Sunday when they play each other, will it will be a good opportunity to lay down a marker for either of them because there have been doubts about both of them. But, you know, they could, either either team could use this um, as a real sort of starting point to, to really take this season by the scruff of the neck and be like, right, well, this is ours now. Um, so yeah, big game, big game. So we'll uh, obviously we'll be uh, reviewing that next week. Uh, yeah, think, yeah, I think we'll leave it there for this week. We're a bit we're a bit tight on time, particularly if everyone wants a couple of songs in as well, uh, <laughs> which to do. Nobody just wants to, apart from you and you and I, have had a, a very enjoyable discussion. Um, I think everyone else would appreciate a bit of music as well. So we'll leave it there. <laughs> I've got time to edit some in. All right. So next weekend, obviously, we as I say, we've got some big big Premier League fixtures to review. We'll have had another round of Champions League fixtures. We'll have another round of Champions League fixtures coming. Isn't it just brilliant? Champions League every week. It's fantastic. 
That's so um, good. So we'll obviously be talking about that once again. We may or may not have Addy back. I know he's had a few technical issues this week and last week and a few the week before. Um, <laughs> in fairness, he's, a, he's laptop and Wi-Fi and all that sort of thing. It's just it, it's what happens when you're working from home. But we'll see you all again next week. Thanks very much for joining me, Alfie. No worries. Pleasure as always. As always. All right, see you later. Bye-bye.